welcome to the Powerfully On Purpose podcast. I am Maggie, your host and creative behind this space. This podcast is for those ready to create change in their life, level up their mind, expand their horizons and get clear on what it means to them to live a life powerfully on purpose. Join us weekly for conversations with people living on purpose and I invite you to choose to be inspired after each episode and walk away with the intention to take audacious action towards everything you desire. Hello and welcome back everyone. Today I have a very special friend of mine, Renee, joining me. Uh, (laughs) Re-recording. Because the technology fairies have not wanted us to do this, but we are here and I'm ready to see what we talk about today. First things first, let's discuss who are you, Renee? Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me again. (laughs) Um, I am a NLP practitioner, uh, illness recovery coach, a speaker, a podcast host, And I guess like what a lot of people know me for is beating cancer before 30. And yeah, I kind of pride myself in having a really beautiful journey through that cancer experience as well. Mm. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Let's let's touch on that because that's a relatively new chapter or recent chapter in your life. Yeah. And can we talk into the, the lead up and the beginning of that chapter and the kind of changes that it created in your life? Yeah. So leading into it, I was, I was what most clinical doctors would call textbook healthy. I ate really well. I exercised every day. I lived a very active lifestyle. I had very little toxins in my household. Honestly, everything was by the book. And at the time it was kind of a big shock. I was living in Melbourne at the time. So I would just gone through two years of intense lockdowns and things like that. And I was in a job that prior I really, really loved. And about six months into that job, my whole management changed. And it kind of is really funny because looking back six months prior to my diagnosis, that's when my management changed. And that's when my workplace became really toxic. And um, it's ironic, right? (laughs) And yeah, then about six months later, we got out of lockdown and it was the day that Melbourne got out of lockdown and I just felt this lump in my throat. And I was like, oh, it's probably just tonsillitis. Like it can't be anything worse than that. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Again, I, everything's right. And so it's probably just like a minor virus that's gone around and I've just caught it. It's fine. I'll probably get some antibiotics or I can deal with this holistically like I normally would and it would be fine. And so I went to the doctor and they asked me all the standard questions like, do you have a temperature? Do you have night sweats? Does it hurt? Um, Can you breathe okay? And they went through all of the symptoms that would typically come with a blood cancer And a lot of blood cancers, because mine was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So those that don't know, it is, it forms in your blood and in your lymph nodes. And every single answer was no, no, I don't have that. Like literally nothing. It doesn't hurt. I don't have a temperature. I don't have night sweats, nothing. So they were kind of a bit confused as well. They were like, oh, okay, well, we actually don't know what it is. So we're going to send you to a specialist. And so two days later, I called the specialist and went in there 
and they put a camera down my throat and they basically said it's, it was a cyst that had ruptured. Here's some antibiotics. Uh, I, I appreciate the medical system in a sense and there's so many flaws in the medical system and that was a really quick kind of Band-Aid fix and it didn't work obviously because it was treated incorrectly and so um, that week I took antibiotics and they just made me feel really nauseous and things like that so I went back to the doctors and this is all happening in like October 2021 so this is really fresh and yeah so then I went back to the doctors and I was like these antibiotics are not working and they basically just said well, now we think it was a different doctor at the same clinic. And this doctor said, I think it's a thing called Quincy, super, super rare these days. Like it's just not a common thing, although it's the only thing that makes sense. And again, cancer never jumped out. And so again, I was like, oh, okay, like everything's fine. Like, and they did say to me though, if nothing changes by Monday, we want you to go to the eye, ear and hospital in Melbourne. And we'll write you a referral so you can get in pretty quickly. And they know the back history on it. So Sunday night came and I said to my partner, Sam, look, I think tomorrow's the day. It's not getting any better. It's actually growing and it's in my throat at this point. So like, that's my airway. It's blocking my airway. I might not wake up tomorrow if it grows quite quickly. And so the next day we went to the hospital and because of COVID at the time, Sam wasn't allowed in with me. So then I entered the hospital system by myself and I had an incredible doctor. And it's funny because I had lived in Canada for two years. I met Sam in Canada and I got a Canadian doctor. Wow. And he was so lovely and he was like, you know what, I th- I'm, again, I'm not 100% sure what it is. You don't have symptoms for anything and we can see it though. That was the craziest thing is we could physically see it and we could physically see it changing and stuff like that. And I remember saying to people all the time because I was taking like photos every day of it changing. I was like, do you want to see it? Like, <laughs> like, I can show you. Like I can literally just open my mouth and you can see this lump growing in the back of my throat. Wow. And, um, yeah, they were kind of really fascinated. He was like, I'm going to give you some steroids, although before I do that, I just want to get a second opinion. I think I want to run some tests. I think it's fine, though. <laughs> you, like, mm. There's no signs that would lead to anything bad. I just let me get a second opinion. And so this other doctor came in and he was like yeah let's run the test and he goes do you mind if I take some photos because this is really fascinating for our doctors to see this and I was like yeah of course go for it (laughs) like so chill so naive and yeah so they'd done a biopsy and again I'm not really at the time I was kind of like it's fine like they're just doing a biopsy they're just ticking the boxes essentially And yeah, I had called my mom and told her what had happened and her, like, she didn't really say much in her mind though, knowing now she was like, this is not good. Yeah. And I was just like, it's fine. It's fine. Still convinced myself it was tonsillitis. They'll just remove my tonsils. Mm -hmm. And two days later I got a call and they were like, Hey Renee, we've got your results. We know that you actually weren't meant to come in for another seven days because it was a week and a half it was 10 days that I could next get my appointment for my results 
And they were like, we've actually had an opening. Can you come in? And they were so calm on the phone. Hindsight, if they call you in early, they're calling you in for a reason. Absolutely. Like they're not just going to call you in two days later and say, oh, we've had a vacancy. They always have emergency appointments. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Now I know. And everyone should know that if they call you in, it's typically for a reason. And it's not a scare tactic or anything like that. And I remember calling my mum on the way in and I was like, it's fine. Like they've just had an opening. Like it's so cool. Like they take tonsils out every single day. They're probably just going to do that. Standard procedure will be in and out. Great. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Secretly she's like, holy shit, this is not good. Like this is not good. Um, I just turned 29 the week before and it was November 4th, 2021 when they called me in. And I remember sitting in the waiting room and I was like, I only have an hour parking. They want to hurry up. Like that was my process in my brain at the time. Like still oblivious. Yeah. Like at this point, I've been waiting here for 40 minutes. They called me in and now they're 40 minutes late for my appointment and my parkings for 60 minutes. Like priorities, right? (laughs) And then I finally got called in and the doctor there was like your biopsy results have come back and it's actually come back as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma which is a type of blood cancer and in that moment my world fell apart I had just turned 29 and I was like how I was like surely there has to be a mistake here are you 100% that that was my biopsy and she was like yes (laughs) was definitely your biopsy um it definitely is this and I can't tell you the specifics of it I I can't tell you what stage it's at I can't tell you exactly what your treatment will be although it will involve chemotherapy and an oral medication Mm -hmm. and you will lose your hair and at the time I had really long beautiful blonde hair um and I, I wouldn't say I was defined by my hair or all those things although when you're confronted with losing your hair as a young female like it that's very confronting huge yeah and that was kind of the diagnosis stage of it it happened very quickly so from the day that the lump appeared to the day of diagnosis it was 10 days wow yeah 10 days for your whole world to just change like that Mm -hmm. yeah And that was only a year ago, right? Yeah, so that was November 2021 and we're now recording this December 2022. That's crazy. So I love that you also don't define yourself by your diagnosis. What's changed though for you from a perspective of life and how you see life? Yeah, I think that it's important because so many people get diagnosed with any kind of illness And they become that illness and they take on all of the side effects that a doctor or somebody else who has that illness says their experiences and they take on somebody else's experience. Mm. And that was really important for me right from the beginning. Like, okay, this is my story. I get to choose how it goes and I get to be the writer and the creator of it. And that was just kind of really powerful. Prior to that, I was already, as I said, really into holistic health and I was a pretty stubborn person anyway. So I was just like, all right, universe, like, let's go. Bring it. If this is what you're going to deal me to finish out my 20s, like I'm ready to play. Mm. 
And so I kind of just like went into it like that and I went straight into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really time to think. There wasn't really time to process. It was like, okay, let's go. Now looking at it, I actually think that I am still the same person that I was. And so many people define cancer of when you finish treatment, like life after cancer and and who you are and finding a new normal and, and all of those things. And I think just in life, we're always finding a new normal. 100%. Regardless of whether you have an illness or what, because you up level mm. and then you up level and finding new normal. Yeah. And then when you get to that level, you up level and you find a new normal. Like we're all doing that. And yes, of course, like I have follow-up appointments and I, at the moment I do PET scans every three months Mm -hmm. and, you know, there is always like this slight like concern and worry, like, holy shit, like, please don't be back. And like, cause it was hard. I'm, I'm not ever going to take away that the whole journey of it wasn't challenging because it absolutely was. And it was, it was brutal. I've never been so sick in my life and a treatment that was saving my life was also really challenging and really hard and it made me really really sick and I don't ever want to take that away from that experience and I never want people to look at me and look at what I do and what I say and and share my experience and go wow she had it easy because it it wasn't and (laughs) I I never want people to walk away and go wow she just kind of breezed through treatment because absolutely like I still had symptoms I still profusely vomited liters of I didn't even know there was that much in my body and things like that and now it's just like wow like you really get to be the creator of your own story you get to create your own narrative and wow I have so much like strength and grit and determination and all of those things yeah resilience and I actually look back at the whole thing and it's now exactly a year since my first round of treatment Mm -hmm. So I'm in this week at the moment where I've kind of come full circle and it's a year since treatment and a couple of days, I, well, the last few days, I have been really emotional because it goes to show how much life can change in 12 months, Yeah, how much I just appreciate life and how I'm just living every day because even as a healthy young adult, I wasn't bulletproof. Yeah. And I think that's the, the idea that, you know, I... I truly believe that between the ages of 19 and 35, you're considered bulletproof. Yep. Nothing will ever happen to you. You're fine. You won't get sick and you're fine. And I look around and there's so many people in that age group, you know, smoking and drinking and doing drugs every weekend and partying and having these really hard lives. And I wasn't doing that. And I still got this. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just like that realization, like, also, it was such a smack in the face to, like, wake up and live. Yes. Actually live. Yeah. Like, live. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter how healthy you are, you are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the next 12 hours. In fact, you're not even promised the next hour. Mm-hmm. And I drove to that hospital thinking I had tonsillitis. And within 30 seconds, my world was taken. Yeah. And it was also given to me. So, yes, my world was taken from me. And in the same 30 seconds, life was also given to me. Perspective. Yeah. 
Absolute perspective. I wrote a post yesterday around uh, not knowing how long you actually have left in your life Mm -hmm. and to just go out and live it. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah. It's also interesting that this time a year ago, you were going through your first treatment because when we recorded this the first time, Mm -hmm. it was a year since you were diagnosed. Oh my God. (laughs) Like to the day. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't believe that. Wow. I like get teared up about it. Yeah. I'm tearing up. Like this is like I've listened to podcasts of you sharing your story, and I had the honor of recording this with you before, and we're here again. And I just I see how much strength and courage that you have. And Thank you. It's really inspiring to also be able to understand and see from your perspective mm-hmm. of how a diagnosis doesn't need to define your life, and right. you can choose how you get to live. And a lot of the time there's people who get diagnosed with certain illnesses and they just decide that that's it mm-hmm. and they give up. Oh, my gosh. They yeah, lose it hope. all the time. And they're, a lot of the time they're the people that should survive. Like yeah. their chances are a lot higher. So I honour you for the determination and Thank you. the grit that you had <laughs> going through that. What was your support like? When yeah, you were so it? we were in Melbourne and it was Sam and I. Mm. My family all live in Albury-Wodonga, which is a regional town on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. And so I am one of four. And so two of my brothers and my parents live there. My other brother lives in Canada. My grandparents live in my hometown as well. And Sam is from Perth. And so all his family are over there. And in the mix of all of this, we're going through this and we're navigating this as COVID is still very big and COVID Mm. is still very heightened in a hospital setting. And so it was him and I. We had no friends in Melbourne. Sorry, Siri. (laughs) You don't have to understand, Siri. (laughs) Um, We, yeah, it was him and I. And thankfully his workplace were phenomenal. Like they were so supportive. They were so lovely. They were like... (laughs) do what you need to do. If you can't be here, it's fine. Like they gave us like the most helpful gift and it sounds crazy. And they gave us a thousand dollars worth of Uber Eats vouchers, which was so generous. Mm -hmm. And my work sent me a bunch of flowers when I first got diagnosed. And then they expected me to show up and work and continue to work as I'd had before. And so support was crazy and, yeah, it was like my family tried to be there as much as they could and Sam's family called and checked in as much as they could, although they couldn't fly into Melbourne Mm. so they couldn't be with us and and it was fine. Like we actually travelled back to Wodonga a lot. It was about a three-and-a-half-hour drive and we did spend a lot of time with them. And it's interesting with illness, right, because I'd never really experienced being ghosted before. (laughs) and people treated me differently straight up Mm -hmm. and when I first told people people were lovely and they were like wow like I'm so sorry that you're going through this please reach out if you need anything and if I'm being honest it's such an empty offer to say to someone please reach out if you need anything yeah yeah, they were, like, really lovely at the beginning. They're, like, we're so sorry, like, if you need anything. And I wasn't in a position to be, like, well, actually, like, yeah, can you, like, please do this? Or yeah. 
and stuff like that. It's not my personality to do that. And like, it's kind of like shamed to ask for help. Like Mm -hmm. there's this society expectation to just like be able to do shit by yourself. Yeah. And it's weak to ask for help. And it's actually so courageous to stand up and say, hey, like, can someone take my hand? Yeah. Like, can someone help me? Can somebody just come over and maybe do a load of washing for me? Or can someone pick up my groceries for me? And and all of that. And I, again, I was really stubborn. I, I didn't want to have to rely on other people. And now in hindsight, again, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I... I now know how much strength and courage it takes to reach out. And so if someone's listening and they're in a position where they feel like they can't ask for help, it's just your ego. Yeah, 100%. Like just, and the thing is the people that want to help and the people that will show up want to show up and they want to help you. And the people that disappear and ghost from your life, it's actually not about you. Mm, It's never like it's it says nothing about you and you know I actually got really frustrated with some of my my friends and I was like we've been friends since we were 11 years old like almost 20 years we've been friends and all of a sudden you disappear Mm. and I actually sent you a message yesterday and it slapped me in the face and it was like wow wow you're on and I'm getting this realization that when you get diagnosed with an illness and you tell people their life doesn't stop yeah. and their life keeps going mm-hmm. and so does your life. Your life doesn't stop. It's just changed. Your daily routine and, and all of those things have just changed. Your life hasn't stopped. And so there's this expectation of like, I put this expectation on my friends to show up and do all these things. And I was like, now, 12 months later, I'm like, oh, wow, their lives actually didn't stop and they still had children and they still done these things. And, and yeah, like there were also other people who showed up for me that I never would have expected in my life. It's interesting. And they checked in and I was like, wow, <laughs> thank you. The little things like that mm. that are helpful, like the little check-ins rather than saying reach out if you need, it's like, can I do this for you? Or mm. and it's not always with a illness. It's even if some you know someone's struggling yeah. just mentally, or they're having a tough time at home, or whatever it might be. Like just offering support rather than offering them to reach out. Yeah, makes a huge difference. And offer what you can give are capable of. Yes, yeah. because if that person then turns around and goes, oh, actually. I would really love, like, if you go, oh, please reach out if there's anything I can do. And then I was to reach out and say, hey, I'm actually wondering if you could go and pick my groceries up for me on Monday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then they go, oh, well, actually, like, no, I can't. Yeah. And then both parties feel like shit in that. So you as the person looking in, offer what you can. Hey, I can make a few meals for you and I can deliver them to you on Tuesday. Will you be home? Will that work? I don't have to come in if you're not feeling up to it. Like I can literally just drop it at your door. Yeah. Even like this is so great for like new mums. Like new mums that have a newborn baby. Like it's hard. Like it's a new world. It's a new chapter and all of those things. Like, again, I can, this is what I can give you. And you're more than welcome to say yes. And you're more than capable to say no. Like either is fine. And I'm just telling you what I personally can give you. This is what 
is in my energy and what I can offer. Mm. And sometimes it's just the offer as well. That's enough. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like sometimes it's just that offer where you're like, wow, that's so lovely. Thank you so much for thinking of me mm-hmm. right now. Like I'm okay. Or yeah, I would actually really appreciate that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's an interesting way to, I feel like I've now come to the realization of when I say to people, reach out if you need anything. I no longer say that. I would have said that in the past. Yeah. And now I offer what I am actually capable of giving. Mm. So, there yeah, was a big slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on that for a minute because I'm sure there's someone out there listening who has been on the end where someone close to them has been diagnosed mm-hmm. and they're, it almost changes your world as well, especially when they're really close to you. Mm-hmm. And I know this because my mum was diagnosed with cancer when I was living on the other side of the world. And the all of me wanted to go home, yeah, and all of me didn't at the same time. And for the whole six months I was there, essentially, I had this guilt for not being there. Yeah. But like you said, and my mum so beautifully reminded me every time I said I can come home, mm-hmm. was I don't want your life to stop. Yeah. So when you sent me that message yesterday, <laughs> I was on my walk. and We're I was both like, crying out. <laughs> I just like, uh, and I haven't cried in a very long time. And yesterday was an emotional day. I just started crying and it was almost a little bit of validation in the fact that I wasn't such a horrible person for wanting my life to continue. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that so much. Like you've got no idea. Um, I held on to so much guilt. Actually, let's speak into NLP for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> In NLP, I had the realisation of that guilt that I was still holding on to. And um, the fact that I was holding up this wall that I wasn't allowed to receive love because of the one time that the, one of the most important people in my life needed me, I chose to stay 16,000 kilometres away on the other side of the world. Yeah. And NLP changed my life. And I'm wondering how NLP has helped you and whether it was something that was in your life prior to your diagnosis Mm -hmm. or whether it was something that came after and, yeah, your experience with that. Yeah, so it's interesting that you felt guilt Mm. because as somebody who had received the diagnosis themselves, there's one part in my story and I can typically tell my story start to finish and I'm very confident in it. And I am at a point now where I'm at such peace with it. Thanks to NLP. Mm. And I actually just look back at it and there's no negative emotion attached to it. It's really like, wow, it's really beautiful. I'm so proud. And I just look back at that whole experience with so much pride. Yeah. And I think that's come from NLP. And I also know the feeling of guilt because when I made the call to Sam, I've never felt more guilty in my life. Yeah. Having to tell him that his girlfriend had cancer. And so guilt's a really interesting thing. We all feel guilt and we all feel it differently and it's all valid. And as the receiver of you felt guilty because you couldn't be there for your mum. 
yeah. and you also wanted to like do your own thing and that made you feel guilty and I felt guilty having to give to the news to someone that I loved like hey are you in the trenches with me because if not like I, I get it you can leave and I gave him two weeks like every day I said you can go you can go you can go mm-hmm. and after the two weeks I said well at this point like you haven't left so you're in it yeah and he felt guilty watching me vomit profusely yeah and there was nothing he could do mm. and my mom felt guilty because she watched me in so much pain and she's like if I could just take it away and so we're all feeling guilty in this. And it's really interesting because th- there's nothing that anyone can do. Yeah. Like you can't take the pain. You can't stop the nausea. You can't stop living your life. You can't feel guilty for having to drop a bomb on someone. Mm. In that, obviously, different, like every, that's probably not the best analogy to use. <laughs> <laughs> like an emotional bomb sometimes like I did I didn't ask for this to happen to me Mm. your mom didn't ask for it to happen to her Mm. and neither of us asked to have to drop something so shocking on the people that we love yeah and so yeah and then coming back to NLP that was like obviously a moment of guilt and I released a lot of guilt through that we done a beautiful technique Mm. like ECT and Typically, we go through our whole life. And when we got to guilt, I actually released the guilt of telling Sam. Oh, I love that. And it was actually really recent. Mm. And it wasn't guilt through my whole life because that guilt was the most profound guilt that I'd ever felt. And it was the most painful guilt that I'd ever felt. Mm -hmm. So I actually released that and it was really beautiful. And yeah, I mean, as I said to you, like I'd always been in help to holistic health. And I think one of the things that comes with holistic health is that it is such a mind, body, soul connection. Yeah. So I'd always been interested in mindset and how the unconscious mind works and all of that. And I'd heard of NLP and I kind of like was interested and I just wasn't in a phase where I was willing to invest in myself yet. Mm-hmm. and I'd done treatment and I went through that and I had a really beautiful mindset through it and even with the lows of the lows of it people still would say wow like I, I don't know how you're doing it and you hold yourself with so much grace through it all and I was like the power of the mind like oh. it's so powerful like every day I would meditate and I would meditate and visualize me walking out of treatment on the last day and I'd done it every single day for 105 days. Wow. And it was the same meditation. Every day I'd cry. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I walked out of treatment, I was like, wow, I've been here. I know how this feels because I've been here every day for 105 days. And so, like, the power of manifestation in that. Mm. And, yeah, then when I was in that room too, it was really crazy because I actually had one final symptom yeah. and it was neuropathy which those that have been through treatment or those that know people that have gone through treatment it basically is the like the ends of your fingertips and the ends of your feet the nerves in that basically die because when the chemo gets to those tips there's nowhere else for it to go yeah and so it just shatters all of the nerves in them and so during treatment I suffered really bad in my hands and my feet were kind of fine and I literally just couldn't hold a pen all the way through treatment I couldn't sign anything because I could not feel my hands yeah 
And um, like I couldn't type, I couldn't even touch a towel. Like it was, it just felt like I was being electrocuted every time I touched a towel because wow. the nerves were just so bad. Yeah. Right. And then when I finished treatment, it was in my feet. And so I went into that room in September and it was the only side effect I'd had left. Like my period was back. The brain fog had kind of gone, like majority had gone away. Like I was kind of back to normal. I was back training, all of those things. And we'd done a process in there and it was so painful. Like I just remember it so vividly. And I like gripped onto my chair chair for dear life. Like I honestly thought I was dying, even though I literally faced death. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh. And I didn't say a word. Like I just sat there silently because again, it was like my own ego being like, don't say anything, don't speak up, you know, just take it, take the pain. You've been through this. You've been through worse. Like, ah, yep. You've been through worse. It's fine. Like comparison let's talk about that next (laughs) Um, like and so I just sat there silently and then my feet I kid you not I was like oh my god they're like burning they feel like the skin is going to split open on my feet like they just got so tight and I was like my the skin is literally probably splitting on my feet right now and all of a sudden for like thousands and thousands and thousands of needles pierce up through my skin and I'm just still sitting there like biting (laughs) Like biting my tongue, not saying a word, gripping onto the chair and they released and I haven't had neuropathy since. Wow. And people say that that room, like, I don't know, people are sceptical about that room. People are sceptical about NLP. People are sceptical about the mindset. People are sceptical about your language. It's real shit. Yeah. It absolutely is. And when you can change your mindset and you can become conscious of so many things that are happening in your life, the language that you use, and you can actually change your nervous system. Yeah. It repaired in the moment of my nervous system changing. I'm curious to know whether the doctors told you that was going to be permanent or not. Uh, They said that it, um, it could potentially be permanent. They, they don't know. Okay. Um, every single person is different and it's based on what their treatment is, how intense it is mm-hmm. and all of those things. And I mean, also at the same time, the doctors have to tell you all the side effects that are yeah. possible to you. Right. And so, yeah, it was like a possibility that it could have been permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, you know, it could last six months. It could last 12 months. It could last a lifetime. Yeah. Again, everyone's so different. And yes, at that point, I was at about six months post-treatment. So I was kind of hoping that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Did I ever expect it to happen in the room that way and be that flipping painful? Absolutely <laughs> not. Like no one warned me about that. Yeah. And I actually haven't spoke to anyone who has had that experience. That's really cool. And so, and then I also witnessed other people have these crazy things happen in that room yeah like being a witness to some of those things it there's actually no way to explain it without sounding crazy I know (laughs) people like wait what and then I do tell people though and everyone's always really speechless and they're like wow like that's really powerful Mm. and even now like my feet have completely regulated in temperature they used to be like ice cold they used to be purple at all times and I used to sit there with a heat pack on my feet because they were so cold all day. Oh, my gosh. 
So I would like, and then it would cool down and then I would reheat it and then I would have it on my feet again, literally to just make my feet not be purple. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> insane. Do, do you think it's because you didn't, like part of it is because you didn't want that, like you didn't, you had your diagnosis, mm-hmm. you believed you were going to make it through it, then you had your symptoms and you just believed that that wasn't going to be you. Yeah, I just chose that. Well, I, I don't want that. It's yeah. not going to happen to me. Yeah. But they said to me when I went in, you know, there's a really high chance that you could get mouth ulcers. Like mm-hmm. mouth ulcers is really common for, well, they say it's really common. Yeah. I'm not going to say it is. Um, they say that it's a possibility that that could happen. And when it happens for some people, their ulcer, like the ulcers are so bad that it goes down your throat and into your esophagus. You're right. And I remember one day I got like one mouth ulcer, like it was starting to come through. And I was like, Mm-mm, no, not happening. <laughs> That's not happening. I'm not getting mouth ulcers. I refuse for mouth ulcers to come. And from then I was like, okay, great. Like what can I do to manage that? And like mouth ulcers are caused from really bad mouth hygiene. Yeah. Wow. And so, cause it's bacteria that just grows yeah. in your mouth. So I just started brushing my teeth three days at three times a day I use mouthwash like all the time yep um I never got I never got them wow I vomited twice they were like you know you a really high chance that you could vomit typically happens it can make but we'll try and manage it we'll give you medication that will help stop it the medication didn't work (laughs) yeah okay so it was then that I trusted my own instinct and my own gut. And I'd done my own research. And again, like I just, I love the power of Chinese medicine. Yeah. And I think that when you use modern traditional medicine and medicine things that have been modalities and, and those things that have been around for centuries, you get the best outcome. Yeah. And so I took it upon myself after round three when I vomited again. I was like, geez, I've got three more rounds of this. Like, I can't keep vomiting like this. Like, this is ridiculous. And so then I went and got acupuncture. And I got mm. acupuncture the day before treatment and I'd get it 10 days after treatment and I never vomited again. Interesting. Like, very interesting. Yeah, like, like, one, trust your own gut. Yeah. And use different methods of medicine. If something's not working, there's other alternatives. Yeah, you don't have to suffer in it. Yeah. Like you don't have to suffer in the pain and the hard parts of it. Like, and if they give you a medication that's not working, go, okay, what else can I do? Like, you know, they also, like, they say that you shouldn't have too many antioxidants and too many of those things during treatment. There's no proven science on that. And they just tell you that. Well, yeah. Yeah. I didn't get told that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like dietitian, cancer dietitians and stuff will say, oh, like, you know, try and stay away from too much antioxidants and stuff like that. There's no proven science on it. Aren't antioxidants good for you? Because it's a detox. Yeah. And so I continued to, <laughs> I still had plenty of antioxidants in my diet. Yeah. And again, it was fine. Yeah. It actually didn't affect any of my treatment. Every single time I went in for a blood test, because I had to do a blood test every round as mm-hmm. well, my bloods were always perfect. Interesting. There was never a time when my bloods were off. 
my liver function was perfect the entire way through treatment. Yeah. My kidney function was perfect the entire way through treatment. And this is where people kind of get confused with my story that they're like, oh, like it was easy. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. And it's like, yes, there were elements that I, in comparison to other people would breeze through and there was still hard times. And this is the thing with comparison. Mm. Why are we comparison what our journeys are? Yeah. Just do your own thing. Like, yeah. Just yeah. stay in your own lane. And also at the same time, like, I will never, ever take away someone's experience or their journey or invalidate it or say, oh, well, like, for me, it was really easy because, like, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And also pain's pain. Yeah. Like. Yeah, this is a huge <laughs> one because I have conversations so often where people say, I think you mentioned it before, is could have been worse. Oh, my gosh. That was, yeah. like, story of my life up until I got cancer. And even when I got cancer, I was like, well like it could be worse I'm not terminal yeah could also be better yeah it could be better (laughs) because I wouldn't have got it yeah and also at the same time like yeah like even with happiness like we all just feel emotions differently like we feel happiness different we feel joy differently we see success differently like my version of being successful might be so different to yours and my version of success and your version of success and happiness and joy and pain and all of that is because of your life experiences. Yeah. It doesn't make either of them irrelevant. Like or still, more or less. Yeah, they're still like who decided what was right and what was wrong and what was more and what was less Yeah, and how you should feel emotions. Like who decided that? If you know, let me know. Yeah, please. <laughs> please <laughs> I'd yeah. love to know Yeah, who decided that. Yeah, it's all relative. <laughs> to the person's story yeah to it all and even comparing yourself to someone who has had it worse and then Mm -hmm. lowering your life yeah like just because someone else had it worse or what you perceive as worse doesn't Mm -hmm. make your story invalid or what you're going through invalid and yeah I think this is a huge part of why a lot of people live lives that are just okay Mm -hmm. is because it is okay but it could be better absolutely you know who wants to just live okay yeah and it's often because they're comparing to people who have it worse yeah and what's like I feel like the only way to fail is by not trying a hundred percent and so if you're not trying and if you're not going for it and if you're just like oh you know like I'm not good enough and all these limiting beliefs like you've already failed yeah and are you okay with failing Mm. A lot of people's fear is failure and what they're not yeah, realising is that that's what they're doing by not choosing to have a go at it. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're choosing your fear instead of just going for the thing. Yeah. Oh, because I'm scared to do it. Well, what's worse? Yeah. Like, to be honest, staying stagnant is more scary mm. than actually going for it and changing. Because what if it works? Oh, imagine. Imagine. Like... <laughs> If everyone's brains are not blowing up now, I don't know <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> and also, like, a lot of people look at what they want and go, what's the worst that could happen when really they should be looking at what's the best that could happen. A hundred percent. Because shifting your focus to what you want is going to create what you want. Mm-hmm. But if you're focusing on what you don't want, then you're going to create it as well. Yeah. And so many people who go through any of these kind of things, like whether it be illness, whether it be a really tragic breakup, whether it be a very traumatic experience, like whatever it is, they live in this world of, I wish I could just be who I used to be. Mm. Yeah. And 
I actually done a post about this the other day and I was like, for what purpose do you want to stay stagnant? For what purpose do you want to stay who you used to be? Like, wouldn't you rather continue to move forward and continue to grow and continue to evolve and continue to thrive instead of staying stagnant and instead of staying who you used to be? Yeah. Like, just take who the parts of you that were really high service of who you used to be and bring them forward and keep going forward. Yeah, and multiply it. Yeah. And keep creating from that. I think a lot of people get a bit scared on what they're leaving behind as well, though. Mm. Like for me personally, that was a huge thing, becoming a more elevated version of myself. So it's not that I've like necessarily changed completely who I am. I've just up-leveled. While doing that, I had to leave a lot behind, which included people old experiences you know old ways of living and that's the comfort that you you have to choose either to stay in the comfort and live an okay life or choose the uncomfortable for a while to live an extraordinary life and when you went uncomfortable and chose an extraordinary life people then came into your life who were extraordinary like yeah and yes you left behind people and you gained people yes that's a huge thing yeah I was talking to that, talking about that to, I think it was a client the other day. We were talking about how they've just ex- unexpectedly met all these really amazing people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's funny that because once you become a certain level, you then attract certain level in. Yeah. And in order to create the life that you want, you need to become the life that you want. Yeah. As well. Have you heard the quote, like, if um, you're the smartest in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Get out. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, you should continue to be in rooms that empower you to grow and evolve yeah. and become better. And once you become the best in the room, leave the room and go to the next room. Change rooms, yeah. Like yeah. change tables, change rooms, like whatever it is. It's so true. It is, yeah. There's and like, some like it'll feel lonely sometimes. Oh, and yeah. Because there's always that transition between tables and rooms as well mm. where you have to realize what it is that you want next. Yeah. Should I go? Should yeah. I not? The scarcity <laughs> I'm going to be like these people on a pedestal, whatever it is. Well, that's the idea is that you go into a room that is scary because mm-hmm. they're going to level you up. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. 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 It's a lot. Though. It's fun though. It is. <laughs> it's so fun. And it's like, then you look back and you're like, wow, like I'm so proud of the version, that version of me. Mm. Yeah. And I'm so proud of letting go of that version of me because now I'm here. Yeah. And this version of me now gets to serve me in this part of life. And then I'll project again and jump up and do all the things and I'll be thankful for this version. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, we could go on and on about it. <laughs> also read it. A quote or saw a video or something about um, when people choose to be in rooms where they feel the power rather than being the one that's learning the most or like mm. being empowered. Like if you're choosing rooms to feel powerful, then I question why you're doing that as well because it's easy to walk into a room where you're quote unquote the best person there or the most intelligent. What's that doing for you? Yeah. It's only fueling the ego. Oh, 100%. And like eat, there is like definitely a good thing and a positive thing to having an ego like we all have an ego and we all need it to a degree yeah 
And we also need to know when the ego can come out and when it's actually not necessary. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's just holding you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My ego has been coming up a lot lately. Working through it. I wonder why that is. <laughs> <laughs> actually, since NLP, I feel like every day I've had to level up and yeah. like I wake up and I go, who am I today? And sometimes that's terrifying. Like truth to be told, like sometimes you wake up and you look in the mirror and you go, I don't know who this reflection is mm-hmm. and I love it Yeah, because you get to reintroduce yourself to yourself and learn more about yourself as you grow, yeah. which is really cool. Well, well, it just, again, it's like brings us back to right at the beginning. Like you just get to write your own story. You get mm. to choose the narrative and every single day you get to wake up and write the narrative of the day. And if you're in a job that you hate or is toxic, get out of the job that's negative or toxic. Yeah. Or if you're in a relationship that's negative and toxic and you don't feel fulfilled, get out of the relationship, get out of the friendships, get out of the place or the town that you live in. Like you get to choose. And I think one of the most powerful things that I took from NLP was that when you learn to take 100% ownership and responsibility, for your own reaction and for your life, it's actually so powerful because now you get to be in the driver's seat. And don't get me wrong, like I can acknowledge that we don't always choose the situations that we're in. Mm, yeah. Like I can acknowledge that. I, I didn't, maybe unconsciously I did choose to have cancer and maybe consciously, I don't know, you know. I didn't, at the time I was like, I didn't choose for this to happen to me. And I take ownership and responsibility for my reaction to that situation because it would have been so easy, so easy for me to be the victim. Oh, always is. Like being the victim is the easy part. Mm -hmm. Just saying, poor me, this is too hard. I can't do it. Why is this happening to me? You know, the world's always against me. People are always against me. Like that's easy. And so many people do it. Yeah. And imagine if you decided to stand up and say, life happens for me, not to me. This is happening for me to learn and grow through. I get to be the warrior. I get to stand up. I get to shine a light. I get to stand up and just speak my own truth and shine a light on it. Like, what if you chose that? Because there are going to be people there that that doesn't fit their narrative and they're going to try and push you down and they're going to try and tell you you're wrong, especially when you're in the medical world and everything's very clinical. You know, what are you doing? And then you go in there six months later and they go, wow, what are you doing? Can we study you because you've recovered so quickly? Yeah. And then I'm like, there's actually no secret. There's no secret. You guys have watched me go through treatment. And how was my mindset? Did I continue to move my body every single day? Absolutely. Did I still eat well? Absolutely. Mm. Like all of the things I was like, there's no secret. You guys have watched me literally for a year. Like there is no secret. And then they want to study me and I just laugh at them. And I was like, well, I don't know what you want to study. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure what you're expecting to find. Yeah. Like, and then they're also like, of course, of course you've recovered. Of course you've train six days a week again of course this yeah. and it's like we expect nothing else and I was like exactly there's nothing to study yeah I just chose to do this it's all a choice yeah like life is just choices reactions are choices yeah. like that's all it is 
interesting to see what choices you make as well yeah along the way and I do it all the time now like I'm so aware of it Mm -hmm. that if something in my life is not going the way that I wanted it to then or if I'm like oh gosh like how did that happen or if I'm just like unhappy or anything because I still obviously get emotional and I still feel sad and I still just because we've gone through NLP and we we also like we still feel emotion yeah we just know how to move through it how to feel it because absolutely you have to feel it you can't suppress it because if you suppress it it will trust me it will come up in your life sometime maybe (laughs) six months 12 months three years 10 years in your life it will come up yeah we just know how to feel it and move through it yeah which is the important part yeah yeah and so it's just yeah it's very funny like I still feel like you know I cried so many times in the last three days because I'm like moving through all these emotions yeah it's just so fine yeah and And it's okay as well yeah up until NLP I don't remember the last time I cried or that I actually felt, quote unquote, real emotion. Mm. Like there's a lot of times in the last two years where I've thought I've been happy or I've thought I've been sad or I thought I was angry and it really it was just me thinking that I should feel a certain way in a, in a situation. Therefore, I was creating this fake emotion and then I got into NLP and I was like, I can't feel anything. Wow, that's yeah. so interesting. I was so like AD about everything and I was like, so the last two years what emotions have I felt Mm. like none and then like yesterday was such an emotional day I think I cried like three times and I love crying now yeah (laughs) because it's like I can feel well it's actually like it's a beautiful thing and it allows one you to feel human Mm. and then you can also just like let it out and it doesn't become stagnant in your body yeah where it's interesting that you say that in NLP like you're like wow kind of got to this realization of feeling and prior to that you like just going through emotion prior to me going into the room I was an emotional wreck like (laughs) I used to cry all the time like yeah poor Sam he'd be like Jesus like you are literally the ugliest cryer <laughs> and I was like, now I'm like very confident. Like, oh, gosh, I'm like hideous. Um, and I've taken so many videos of me crying during treatment. So I'm like, wow, like I really need to sort out my facial thing. <laughs> and oh, I went into that room and for the first three days, I was like emotionless. Yeah, right. I just like had switched off. I was like a bloody robot. Yeah. I was like, hello, in there. Are you there? there? Like, <laughs> where are you? And yeah, it was so crazy. And it wasn't. And even when we've done the process before the neuropathy left, like typically in the past, I would have been someone who was like pulling my eyes out through that process because it was so beautiful. Yeah. It was so powerful. And I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to give it away. It was just like, wow. And I, I wasn't really emotional through it. And then, yeah, even like I thought that I'd be more emotional and it wasn't until I actually was able to feel and release it mm-hmm. that I was actually able to heal. Yeah. And, yeah, like, it's just so crazy. And then by the end of it, I was like. <laughs> dreaming. <laughs> and now I cry all the time. So, I don't, again, I'm just back to crying all the time. And I'm so fine with it. Like, and I've also learned that it's so important to not wipe away your tears yes because every time I when it's in a sad emotion like when it's in a negative emotion because 
it's so interesting, right? I've met like so many people tell you and it's this um, society expectation, like wipe away your tears, don't be weak, be a still soldier, blah, blah, blah. And every single time if you're in a state of sadness and you touch your tears rather than let them fall, you just anchor that emotion into your body. Yeah. So just let your tears fall. Just feel them. And I know especially like I wear glasses, so it can be a bit annoying when you're crying. (laughs) Take your glasses off and like actually feel it and let your tears fall. And once you've moved through the sadness or the anger or whatever the negative emotion is and you felt that, then you can wipe away the tears because now you're anchoring an emotion that's not attached to the negative. It's more positive. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's so powerful because how many people wipe away their tears when they're actually feeling sadness or anger or guilt or grief? Yeah, this is an interesting one as well because how many people hug someone when they're sad and then anchor in the emotion? Anchor in their sadness and then take on that person's sadness because they've anchored it into their own self. Yeah. And people like, people pride themselves in being an empath. Yeah. Oh. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, tell me a little bit about you. Oh, like, I'm an empath. Like, yeah. I feel people's emotions. No, you just embody yeah. their own persona and their own patheticness. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And like, whatever, a lot of the time when we're be- being empathetic, it's because of someone's negative emotions, right? Mm. So you're embodying their negative emotions. Yeah. You're, not, you're not taking it away from them. You're just joining them in their crap Yeah. right now. So, and then you're like, oh, yeah, like I know how that feels. And then you just continue to like dig the hole deeper for them. And you also jump in there too. Yeah. Like, let's all just sit in our pity hole together. Like, imagine if you could just be compassionate and not take on their emotion. Yeah. And be like, I can respect that you feel that way. I, in the past, can relate because I've I've also felt that. Mm And I'm also not going to take it on in this moment. Yeah. And I still love you. And that's okay. Like, yeah. It's so funny. Respecting yourself as well, though. 100%. And also us both knowing that a lot of people aren't aware Mm. that that's really what's going on. Yeah. People, like, just pride themselves in being an empath. And now that I know, I'm like, once you're aware, you cannot be unaware. I was like, (laughs) I pride myself in being compassionate for people. Yeah. I absolutely have compassion for people, yeah. their stories, their life, where they've been, their, like all of it. And I'm also not going to take on their story because mm. it's not my story. Yes. Like I write my own book. Absolutely. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm not a co-author here. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all got our own crap like we're dealing with. Why I'm would so- you want to? take on someone else's as well like be there for yeah. them support them how you can but just don't take it on yeah yeah absolutely yeah but nothing's going on like yeah I feel like NLP taught everyone in that room a lot mm-hmm. about themselves about other people and, and even after yeah like not everything will land in that room no oh the amount of realizations <laughs> I've had since we stepped out 100% it just like hits you and you're like, oh, there it is. Yep. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, it's so beautiful and you become aware that the people around you, like, I've kind of known this already, 
And it wasn't until that room that I actually really started to go, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Like the people that are in your life are just reflections of you in some way. So yes. whether they're the shadow of shit that you haven't dealt with or that you've been suppressing. Yeah. Or maybe it's the light that you so, like you know that's inside you or that you wish to become because mm-hmm. you can't see things in people that's not in you. So if you're like seeing people who are millionaires or up on stage and doing all the things and you're like, wow, I, I don't know how they do it. You can only see that in them because it's in you. Mm-hmm. And if you're driving and you've got severe road rage or someone cuts you off and you get really pissed off at it, I'd love for you to ask yourself why you're actually getting pissed off at it and what in your life do you actually need to deal with? Yeah. How are you causing that? Yeah. Like what else in your life are you cutting off? Mm-hmm. And it might not be someone in traffic. There's probably a situation or an emotion that you're cutting off. Yeah. And you're actually just frustrated at your own self because you keep cutting it off. Go and deal with it. Yeah. Like everything in life is a reflection of something that you hundred percent have going on internally yeah yourself or or how you have been in the past yes because I now in the past yeah because I now it's very interesting because we both work with clients Mm. and I oh my gosh (laughs) I now have so many clients that are just a direct reflection of my past yes yeah and I will hold them in it (laughs) like I'll hold them like and call them out yeah Yeah. and I'll bring them out of it Mm -hmm. like I'll hold them in it let them deal with it let them feel it and then pull them out of it yeah and so it's so funny because I'm just like oh like (laughs) oh there I am (laughs) (laughs) hello (laughs) hi it's like that Taylor Swift club hi it's it's me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm the problem it's me (laughs) (laughs) oh hello again (laughs) true though and it's interesting I know one person predominantly in my life that is challenging me a lot Mm. and I love it and equally can get so frustrated because I'm like again not again oh my god there's more and there's more and the thing is you 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 work on yourself and there's always going to be more Mm -hmm. there's always got to be more so you're just going to fall in love with the journey yeah and the growth and use that as your fuel to go I've already gotten so far yeah. rather than look at this next obstacle, whatever you want to call it and go, no, I want to retreat. You go, yeah. I've made it through all of this. I can make it through this. And thank you to the person who now has shown me where I get to work on next. Yeah. A lot of the time we see something in someone and we blame them mm-hmm. when really, yeah, it's actually not got anything to do with them. Yeah. It's all to do with you. And people like are so caught up in not enjoying the journey. Yes. They want to get to the end. Yeah. They just want the quick result. Get yeah. me there. Boom. I don't like. And again, this just comes back down to suppressing the emotions that go through that. Yeah. Because what if you go through the journey and there's beautiful, positive emotions? Imagine. Like, and what if you got to choose that? Yeah. Like, because honestly, if you get to the destination, you're not actually going to appreciate it. Yeah. And the thing is always as well we're going to get to a destination and want more anyway yeah so learning to love every step along the way is going to allow you to enjoy life Mm -hmm. and not just always be longing for more yeah which is 
And so many people live outside of their bodies too, which I'm really learning about at the moment. And it's something that I'm trying to focus so much more on in my own life is that we're not even present. Mm -mm. We're not even in our own body. And even when people are like, oh, like I'm living more presently, it's like, yes. And are you in your body? Yeah. Are you physically in your body right now? Yeah. And that's something that I'm going through. And um, yeah, it's really interesting to learn about that and discover that because that's really cool <laughs> yeah I didn't know I wasn't in my body into NLP yeah <laughs> I thought I was I was I was living great life and then it was like no emotions don't really know what's going on don't really know what I want mm-hmm. and it was like bam yeah and even like we were in went on Thursday and um there was a lady in the room and she was like I actually didn't realize that I wasn't, wasn't in my body yeah and it was like all the time like yeah. it just keeps like yeah yeah, just like reminding yourself mm-hmm. to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Life. So I guess there's a lot going on. <laughs> so it makes sense that a lot of people, like and myself, often out of my body. But yeah. And people think that just because we're coaches, that we've got it yeah. all together. Oh, no. And that we've got, <laughs> like, we're still continually evolving and always. growing as well. Like, we always have to, because, yeah. I mean, for, for both of us, like, staying stagnant is not an option no no <laughs> no like pass um I'm not gonna do that <laughs> yeah and so it's just like this whole thing like we're always evolving and we're always changing we're always growing and it's so beautiful new level new devil yeah always something to move through mm-hmm. which is fun yeah it's exciting yeah yeah absolutely so good so many things. I actually want to go back to the medical system just briefly. Mm. And without being too over the top, what was your experience when you look back at the mm-hmm. medical system from what you know now? Yeah. Well, I will always praise my specialist. Yeah. I had one of the best blood specialists in Melbourne and it was, I'm not even going to say by chance that I got him because of course I got him. Yeah. Of course. Like, there's no such thing as coincidence. And he was absolutely phenomenal. And I will always praise him. I will continue to praise him for the rest of my life. I have all the time in the world for him. He always made sure that Sam and I left the room and everything was clear and all of our questions were answered. That's great. Um, and even during COVID, he always let Sam in. Oh, I love <laughs> Yeah, that. he always yeah. let Sam come in, which was beautiful. Um my nurses in the actual oncology ward, I will praise them. They have a really tough job. Absolutely. They're, they're the most incredible, kind, compassionate people. And the amount of people that they would probably say goodbye to, I can't fathom that. And so it takes a, a special kind of person to work in the cancer world and in mm-hmm. oncology. And so I'll always praise that. In terms of the actual system, yeah, there's so many gaps. There's so many gaps, especially if you're in this age group. Yeah, I think I'm going to be saying this. Yeah, yeah, so 19 to 35, you kind of forgotten about. Yeah. You're too old for like Starlight Foundation, um, all of those, and you're too young for everything else. Yeah. And so you're kind of forgotten about. And everything is very clinical. So, you know, take the medications and do all the things. 
see a psychologist, which psychologists are expensive. And typically a psychologist, what what I found in my own personal experience, I'm not going to speak for every psychologist because I know, again, there's like everything, same in the coaching world, there's great coaches and there's terrible coaches. Yeah. And there's great psychologists and there's terrible psychologists and there's great surgeons and there's terrible surgeons. Yeah. Like in everything, you'll always get both worlds, of course. And what I found is that I was paying an extortion amount for it to see a psychologist who never helped me. Yeah, right. What do you mean by that? Well, one, they just agreed with me every time I went in and said, oh, oh great, like your, your, your mindset's so great. Yeah, and also <laughs> I'm moving through one of the darkest things that's ever happened to me and I want to move forward. What tools and resources can you provide me to do that? And they never gave me any. And so I done it myself. Yeah. So I was sick of spending money. I was spending $200 a session. Yeah, wow, for nothing really. No, well, $200 a session. And that was with the Medicare. Wow. So I was still out of pocket $200 a session. It was that weekly? Fortnightly. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't afford weekly. (laughs) I'm literally living on Centrelink. That's a whole nother world as well. You get an illness and you can't work and you go on Centrelink and it's, you're considered a job seeker. Yeah. And the only exemption is that you, with a doctor's certificate, you don't have to apply for work, but you still get the same amount of money. And in my case, I got $670 a fortnight. And $200 of that was going to a therapist. Yep. So it left me with $470 a fortnight to live. Wow. I still had other medical bills I had to pay for because I still had other things that I had to pay for. I still had to put fuel in my car. I still had bills, Mm. like rent. Life doesn't stop. Like life doesn't (laughs) stop. And so that is a whole nother rant and tangent I could go on where their system is completely broken. Mm. And the system is broken in terms of that they don't combine multiple options and both multiple ways of healing and health. Yeah. And once you're out of the medical system, for me personally, I actually found that during when I was going through treatment, very supported, absolutely there. Um, you know, if I needed anything, I always had a 24-hour line I could call, all of that. And once I was finished treatment, and when you finish treatment, like you still have a cycle once you're out of that, that you still suffer all the side effects and all of that. And then from there, you can slowly start to recover. Okay. And I said to them, so what happens when I finish treatment? And the response was, I'll just go back to life what so once you finish treatment there's no support for you because of the age or no, was just it in, just general. in general that's everyone and again there's some incredible foundations out there like um me being like even though mine was lymphoma yeah I still had access to the leukemia foundation because yeah. the leukemia foundation is just blood cancer in general and a lot of people don't know that um, so okay. I still had access to them and, you know, they have been very wonderful and they've given me some incredible opportunities, which I'm so grateful for them. And there are great foundations out there. There's just not a lot of foundations for this age group. Mm-hmm. And you don't, it's really hard to find access to what you actually have 
available to you and you just kind of have to navigate by yourself and it's really lonely and it's really isolating and on top of that then going through treatment during COVID still it's lonely like yeah I couldn't have anyone come into treatment with me so yes my professor like my hematologist lets him in he's a professor that's why I went to say that um (laughs) yes he lets him come into our one-on-one appointments and when I went in for treatment I had to go in by myself because you're all vulnerable yeah like you have no immunity and so you you go in and you sit there and you get pumped with a drug that you know is going to make you sick and that is literally killing everything inside of you like by yourself you don't talk to anyone because everyone's socially distanced. Yeah. And you have to do like COVID test every single time. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, I mean, that whole experience was just really lonely. Yeah. And yeah, it's like people would say, like, how, like, what, how do you describe the experience of cancer? Lonely. Mm. The whole thing was lonely. Amplified with the lockdowns and everything else. Yeah. And it's just like, you're in an age group where it doesn't happen to you. And again, I was like, I found a Facebook group that was really, really beautiful and very supportive. And it's great because you can go in there and you can ask questions and people will share their experiences. And also at the same time, there's too many members in there. Yeah. Get lost. Well, it's just more, but like, how is there over 800 members in that group between this age group that are just female? Like, I see, yeah. How is cancer so prominent in our lives these days? I know why. Um, <laughs> whole nother rant and rabbit hole. <laughs> and it's just like it breaks my heart that so many people are affected by it and yet there's still not enough support for them. Because mm. you ask anyone in that group or anyone that I speak to even overseas and like I'm very vocal on social media. I shared my whole journey on social media. And I shared it because I couldn't find it. Yeah, became what you needed. And I just knew that if I was seeking this so much, somebody else would. And so, like, that's why I decided to share. And I also just decided to, sh- like, break down the tabooness of it. Mm, such a taboo topic. Yeah, and, like, so there's, like, lots of reasons behind that and it's just, like... It still blows my mind. I'm like, why? It's 20, almost 2023. How is this so, like, how is this still happening? How is it so common? And how is there still so little support? And people are like, oh, there's so many, like, supports and fundraisers out there and, and all of that. Yeah, and that's great. And in order to qualify for them is sometimes really hard. And the paperwork, cool paperwork, that is involved in maybe getting a grant or maybe getting some kind of, is so tedious and so hard that when you're going through treatment, it's not worth it. Yeah. I was like, I, I physically and mentally don't have the energy or the capacity to complete that right now. Yeah. And so I didn't, I don't understand how they would expect someone to have the capacity to be able to apply for a grant. Mm And maybe it's the fact that there's so many people these days that are diagnosed with cancer that we can't afford to just give everyone one. Mm-hmm. But like it's almost looping back to the reach out if you need help. Yeah. Whole thing. It's like apply for this if you need help. Yeah. Obviously you need help. Mm-hmm. 
the world's just been turned upside down. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I, like, I'm grateful because I had a, my incredible nurse, I, I loved her. Um, she applied for a $500 wellness grant for me. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. like, she done it all. Yeah. Which was really beautiful. Yeah. And it was for the age group. Yeah. So not everyone qualifies for it. And other than that, it's the only foundation that I've found. And with that foundation, although I'm very grateful, I was in Victoria at the time. Yeah. It's only valid for Victorians. So I'm not sure what's here in Queensland. I'm I'm still trying to like kind of wrap my head around it and see what's available more out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, and then find out what I can do in the space to help close some of the gaps. But it's a very broken system. It's broken between the medical system and the government. It's broken between traditional medicine and holistic healing and Chinese medicine and all the natural ways of medicine. And it's like, wow, like it's not taking away from anyone's knowledge because everybody has knowledge in space. What if you just combined the knowledge? Yeah. If you think about it, all the Western medicines they come from all the traditional medicines. Mm -hmm. So it's just someone's decided they want to make some money off it and created a drug for this and a drug for that. And it's all the same, Mm -hmm. it's just different. Yeah. And what I found is that some of the drugs that they were giving me actually weren't doing anything and they were making me more sick. Ah. And it wasn't until I went to the foundational. Chinese way of it that I was actually able to not mask it actually deal with it yeah manage it yeah and move through it Mm. like so yeah and it's it was really hard to go into the medical system when I was such a big believer in and not a believer um because I still I absolutely still believe in it and I still back it when you come from someone who's so passionate about holistic health, yeah. <laughs> you have to enter the medical system. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like, do I have to have that? Skeptical. I, I'm not 100% comfortable having that. Yeah. Like, and they were like, oh, like this is, and I did trust them and I trusted my own self. Yeah. So when intuition both. tapped in and was like, hey, like you should still do this and you should still do this. I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do both. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to do both. Like, that's what felt good to me. Yeah. So many people are not in touch with their own intuition Mm -hmm. and we know better than anyone. Yeah. You could. Well, except when I thought I had tonsillitis. Yes. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. That's when when the the medical system needs to come into play and be like, okay, the professionals, you know, need to step in. However, when it's like normal day-to-day things, like, feeling like you want to do something or you're in the wrong place or you're in a mm-hmm. job or a relationship like yeah you can have external people tell you what you should or shouldn't do give their advice from their experience but you know best mm-hmm. from your experience yeah so it all maps across to everything in our life not just the medical industry uh, medical system yeah. but all of it mm-hmm. and like I'd also at that time when I got diagnosed so my grandma was diagnosed with breast cancer 13 years ago. Yeah. And so she had gone through radiation. So she hadn't gone through chemo. Yeah. So I, and it was 10 years ago. So I, or 13 years ago. So I actually don't remember seeing her go through treatment and her experience was very different to mine. One, because hers was breast cancer and mine was blood. Yeah. Um, our treatments were so different. 
And I'd also like lost my aunt to breast cancer. Yeah. So she got diagnosed stage four. And unfortunately she, she fought really bloody hard mm-hmm. and, and she was always the warrior. Yeah. And she got to a moment where she was so physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted and drained. And I respect that she fought till that moment. Yeah. And then she decided now. Mm-hmm. And like, so I had seen it. And again, there was like this darkness and this cloud over it. Like, oh, it's going to be really hard and it's going to be awful and all of these things. And again, I was just like, no. She did differently. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's just this whole thing around cancer that it's so dark. Mm. Like, it's so dark. And when you, like, people panic around cancer it's like let's just shine a light on it and yes it does happen every day unfortunately and like let's just stop making it so dark and so scary for people it's already scary enough yeah we don't need all of the external darkness absolutely that's with anything as well yeah. but any diagnosis anything that happens in your life it can have this dark cloud over it mm-hmm. and it could also be the thing that changes everything for yeah. you like, like I you have, choose I have friends that have suffered like with endo yeah for years and years and years like I've got a good friend of mine and she has had endo I've known her for almost 20 years now and she's had it and I've also had friends that have gone through the surgery and done all the things and it didn't work and then they've turned to holistic and intuition yeah and they have no symptoms mm. Like it's, yeah, just like trust yourself like, yeah. and advocate for yourself. Like if something's Stand not right, yourself. like just be like, hey, like go and seek a different opinion or go and seek like alternative ways to do things, you know? Yeah. Trust the professionals and trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's always. Yeah. And like, you know, there's people that are naturopaths and things like that. And yes, they have another way of health and they still work in the health industry. And in the medical industry and they've still gone to university and they've still studied and they've still done all of these things and they're still trusted people yeah and they just have a different like um i can't think of the world now a different like idea or concept or yeah. um like vision on the world yes and that's yeah. fine yeah like and yeah. also remembering that the professional that you go to, it's like they know so much about one little thing. Their niche. Then exactly, their yeah. niche down. So when you come to them with a concept that's out of that, mm. they're not going to know enough to be like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So that's when you have to turn to yourself, do your own research, find someone in that area that, you know, that could help you and then trust both. Yeah. And trust whatever it is that you know that you need for yourself yeah absolutely they're very intelligent on the things they know and sometimes it's also very limited as mm-hmm. well yeah but as well it's also not necessarily it's not the people it's the system as well and that's just the way it is and yeah I'm really glad that you had that experience yeah. in your way because look at you now thank you, <laughs> you Let, let's um discuss what the biggest thing from all of this has been mm-hmm. like before your diagnosis you were going one way in life and how like what has actually been the biggest thing for you in all of that yeah to getting you to where you are now I think the biggest thing is that 
I always wanted to make an impact mm. and I always wanted to make a difference. Yeah. And I never knew how I was going to do it or what it was going to be on. Yeah. And I was almost trying to like come up and make up these ideas of what I should be doing and going through that and experiencing that and experiencing the gaps. I feel so on purpose, which yes. is <laughs> Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like, I feel very like I know what the direction is and I know what I want to do and what I want to create. And I just, again, it just, I have so much pride in my own self and I'm so just so grateful for that experience. And yeah, like I'm just really happy that where I am and I've made huge changes this year. Like, yes, I went through cancer and I bet cancer and I recovered and I turned 30 and I moved to the Gold Coast and <laughs> she's been a big year. Oh yeah. And so many parts of my life have closed the chapter. Mm-hmm. And when I turned 30, I was out of treatment. I'd been, I'd done all that. And one of the things was I haven't, like I've closed the chapter and I've actually closed the book yes. and I'm now rewriting my second book. I love that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's really powerful. People go, oh, life is just chapters. And I'm like, I'm on my second novel now. We're moving. Yeah. Like, do you know what this is going to like this? new book is going to look like or are you just taking it each Uh, day yeah so it's going to be very powerful Mm -hmm. very inspired very driven yeah and just so much impact yes and in both my own life in the lives of others really abundant Mm -hmm. just and freeing yeah like yeah it's gonna be epic that's so awesome. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what the next 12 months has in store. Me too. Me too. Like, <laughs> the last 12 months have been wow. Yeah. And there's like... already some things that are happening which are really mm. exciting and I'm not going to share it yet. No. <laughs> um, and I actually hate when people do that. Share um, in advance, you mean? Or no. Ask. No, when they say, oh, there's some cool things happening behind the scenes. I just oh, tell us. Just, like I actually yeah. hate it. And <laughs> I'm you're going to do it. it. <laughs> Because it's freaking epic. And I'm actually like, I'm kind of pinching myself. I'm like, shit, is this actually happening? Like, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just like, of course it is. I created this. Yeah. So, creating everything. Yeah. I think 2023 is going to be a really cool, epic year of so many things. Yeah. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to this year too. So, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up there then. And before we leave, where can everyone find you? Stay yes. connected. So you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it is at underscore Hello I'm Healing. Uh, you can find my podcast on Spotify. It's called Hello I'm Healing. Uh, I have a Facebook group, Hello I'm Healing. Everything's under Hello I'm Healing. Um, I love that. Yeah. So that's pretty much if you search that, mm-hmm. you'll find me there. Awesome. We didn't even touch on your podcast, but um. Are you still in the creation of your next season? Yes. So season one is out. There's 12 episodes in it. Season two is being finalised and stuff at the moment. I'll probably start recording in Jan. Yay. Um, and, yeah, it's just real people sharing real stories around medical illness and the medical system and how we get to close the gap. Yes. I love your episodes as well. So I'm excited. Thank you. 2023. (laughs) So I have that podcast. (laughs) 
All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Renee, for jumping on and re-recording. And of course, thank you so much for having no, me again. It's she's... been an emotional one. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I love crying though now. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but until next time, remember to stay present, get curious, and go make someone smile today. Bye.